Welcome to 1514, a podcast of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. 1514 draws its name from Romans 1514, where the Apostle Paul encourages the church that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to counsel one another. I'm your host and the executive director of the BCC, Dr. Curtis Solomon, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Thank you for joining us for this episode of 1514. It's an honor to have you as part of our audience. I want to take a moment and say thank you to those who support the ministry of the BCC financially and to encourage those who haven't yet supported the ministry of the BCC with monetary gifts to go ahead and do so. We are a nonprofit organization and we rely on donations from individuals like you, organizations like the ones you participate in to accomplish the mission that God has given to us. Our vision, our mission is really to foster unity in the biblical counseling movement and to promote relationships and resources that honor God and bring people closer to him. And we can't do that without the ongoing support of people like you and ministries like the ones that you do. If you give and you are a counselor or a counseling ministry participant, there are benefits to those who would like them for partnership with the BCC. You can find out about both donating and what partner benefits are on our website at biblicalcc.org. Click on the donate button at the top of our website and you'll find out more information there. Today's episode is a get to know you interview that I did with Sasha Mendez. Sasha is one of the members of our board of directors at the BCC. He's the first international member of our board of directors and he hails from Brazil. And Sasha is a wonderful guy, uh, had a great time getting to know him. He'll tell you a little bit more about himself and, and a lot about his upbringing, how he came into biblical counseling and some great lessons he's learned through that it was a great encouragement, a lot of fun to, to talk with Sasha, and I hope that it is encouragement to you and uh, really spurs you on to loving good deeds and to growing closer to your Savior, Jesus Christ. So, Sasha Mendez, thanks so much for being with us on 1514 today. Thank you very much, for Curtis, Curtis, for having me. It is a pleasure to be here with you guys. I know some of you've been on our podcast before uh, to tell us about biblical counseling in Brazil, and we wanted to take some time to get to know you better and our audience to get to know you better. So why don't you just start with a basic introduction of you, your your family, and your current ministry roles? Sure. Uh, so I'm Sasha Mendes. Uh, Sasha is actually my nickname. My real name is Alexandre, which is a Portuguese version of, of Alexander. Uh, I am married to Ana uh, almost 15 years now. We are parents. Uh, we have th- three children. Uh, Pedro, who is 12 years old, Chituk, who is nine years old, and Marina, and she's six years old. And uh, I am a pastor here at Maranata Baptist Church in San Jose dos Campos. Uh, been here for maybe 12 years since 2010. And then 2019, we transitioned uh, uh, the pastoral staff, so I became the senior pastor of the church. Yeah, and that's been a good transition. I know personally walk, seeing you walk through that. Uh, my other question is, is, so is Sasha just, in, in Brazil, do people call you Sasha? Or is that just a, something you do yes. for us Americans who can't pronounce your Portuguese name? No, I go by <laughs> Sasha. Sometimes I even forget that my name is Alexandre. So uh, Sasha is totally fine. Very good. So tell us about your, your upbringing. Where did you grow up? What was it like for you as a child? And, and what was your family like? Sure. So I grew up, I was raised in Brazil. I grew up in a Christian home. So since I know myself as a kid, as a person, I was always attending church, 
hearing the things about our faith. Uh, and I was a very troubled kid in terms of assurance of salvation. Um, I was always afraid of my eternal destiny. And then I believe at the age of 12, I finally understood uh, some of the uh, truths behind Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, uh, transitioning for not trusting my sincerity, but trusting in the work and person of Jesus Christ. So that's where I understood that God's grace saved me uh, and I became a child of God. Then at the age of 14 years old, I got baptized and getting and growing my involvement serving in the church. Uh, and that was uh, between two cities in Brazil, Sao Paulo, which I spent most of my childhood and also in a small town an hour away from Sao Paulo called Atibaia. And that's where I got exposed to a lot of biblical counseling as well, but that's another story. But anyway, that was a little bit of my childhood and how God, uh, what God used to draw me close to him. I think I came out of fear of combination. And today I stand in the fear of God and assurance of what he is and what he has done for me. So, yeah. Well, praise the Lord. That's a good, good reminder for all of us that it's not about, like you said, not about our, the sincerity of our conviction or our faith, but really his, his work ultimately. Um, so did your, was your family multi-generations of Christians or uh, growing up in a Christian home? Did you have lots of aunts, uncles and other, and other extended family that were believers as well? On my dad's side, uh, there is a, a, a longer, but not too long tradition of Christians most of them are from the Presbyterian Church. And, um, and then for my mom's side, Christ came to my grandparents when they have already done a lot of mistakes. And so my mom, she did not, she, she was raised in a lot of confusion, uh, a lot of um, uh, disputing between my grandparents. And uh, so our generation me and my siblings, we were the first ones actually raised in an actual Christian home. And my parents, they, 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 they came to faith early in life, but they got a lot of um, implications or consequences of my grandparents' bad choices. So you said you were kind of a troubled kid. Uh, as a teenager, what were you interested in? What kind of things did you do for fun? Okay, I mean, I, mean I, was, um, I was a troubled kid with uh, the assurance of my salvation, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. not that Sorry. I was causing trouble. Uh, <laughs> I was but anyway, I was, I was involved a in a lot of coming. sins as well. <laughs> but uh, but I, didn't have, uh, I didn't have a teen's ears that I was involved in, I don't know, any bad stuff. In the outside, I was a good kid. Um, in the outside, I was very obedient to my parents. But I knew that the struggles that I had in my heart and the things that I had to realize that were actual sins and there were actual condemnation for all of those. So I see that there was a time in my life that I see that with sadness that I didn't have a strong testimony, you know, but, um, but theologically I do have a strong testimony. I was lost in my, I was lost in my desires. I was totally confused. Didn't know who I was. And then until Christ saved me. So, um, but at the other side, I know that God spared me from a lot of uh, bad consequences of bad choices, and I praise Him for that too. Yeah, so. 
Yeah. So were you in the, the sports? What kind of stuff did you do as a, as a teenager? I, I was involved in sports, but I was never known as a, a sport guy. You know, uh, there is a expectation for me coming to, from Brazil that I was really into soccer, <laughs> but not, I, I play soccer just for fun. I'm usually, I'm usually, I am usually the last one to be choose. Now that I am a pastor, I get some privileges. So we get the pastor in our team. And, oh, yeah, yeah. Bring that yeah, divine, yeah, here divine come. Bring help the pastor and, <laughs> and they tolerate my mistakes in the field, you know. Uh, <laughs> but I really enjoyed basketball. I grew up playing a lot of basketball. Uh, didn't have the heights for that, but I really enjoyed playing basketball for fun. And uh, But always involved in some sort of a sport, like even swimming, running. I like to exercise myself, but just for fun or health issues, but not, uh, I'm a sport man, you know? Yeah. Or, yeah. So <clears throat> when, uh, what you eventually come to the, to the States to study, um, masters, but I want to back up a little bit before that. Where did you, where did you go to college? What did you go to pursue studying there? Sure. Uh, during high school, um, I got a question a lot about what I'm going to do right after high school if I was going to become a pastor because I was leading Bible studies in high school. And I didn't know. I, I, I didn't want to be a pastor. Actually, I didn't know what a pastor was supposed to be doing. I didn't have a low. I had a low view of pastor ministry. That's for sure. Like uh, I didn't say that out loud because out of respect for pastors as well. But my attitude was something like that. Well, that guy tried to be a doctor. He didn't make it. He tried to be a lawyer. He didn't make it. He tried to be an engineer. He didn't make it. <laughs> now he's a pastor. You know, I had that kind of view of pastoral ministry right. because somehow I watched some guys doing exactly like that. So I was not very enthusiastic of being a pastor or considering pastoral ministry. But I got answered. I got questioned a lot about that. And I didn't realize at that time. But that was the first step that the church was recognizing something that I wasn't willing to recognize. So I went to uh, the University of Sao Paulo to study economics, where I got my bachelor's in economics. And I wanted to be a business consultant. So uh, I got an uh, uh, internship at Accenture, used to be Anderson Consultant. So I worked for them for a while. Then I got... Um, then I got hired as an actual employee, work as a business analyst for a while, graduated from a bachelor's degree in economics. And sooner, all those questions came back again. And what I realized is that I was not battling the idea of becoming a pastor or not. Should I become a pastor or not? I think it goes deeper to, do I trust that God is going to provide? Mm. Because I used to trust on my workforce and when I see the context where pastoral ministry was developing, I said, I want to be someone, I wanted to provide. It was, it was actually wrong priorities in my case. Mm. So after God dealt with that, the desire to become a pastor grew and grew and grew. So I had an inner desire. I had something that the church was observing and attesting. So I understood that, that those two elements were composing it calling for pastoral ministry. So that's when I started to go after where I'm going to do some pastoral training. Uh, and then there's a parallel story about biblical counseling as well. My mom, she, um, 
get the class. She got the classes of a master's degree at Word of Life mm-hmm. Seminary in Achibaya with Dr. David Smith. And he was connected to David Paulson, Ed Welch. Yep. So those two came down to Brazil to teach. And I was able to sit in a biblical counseling conference with them. And just to hear them saying and speaking and developing biblical principles, pointing to Jesus, said, I don't know what God wants me to do, but if I'm going to take care of people, that's exactly what I want to do. Mm. That's exactly how you take care of people. So my conviction in biblical counseling, uh, it, it came right with my conviction to pastoral ministry. Wow. So I don't see a different way to see pastoral ministry besides with the biblical counseling mm-hmm. worldview. So that was a little bit of a, how I got connected. Uh, and during and during uh, during my bachelor's degree, I got exposed to um, to a group. Um, it's actually um, a sect. How do you say a sect with the wrong doctrine? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when I got exposed to this sect that would challenge me in the basics of Christianity, my mom just my mom just suggested me to go to Word of Life for a year to do a Bible basic program. And then she, she suggested me as well to go to the States so I could also speed up my English. So I see the benefit of that. And then I had this mixed motives of getting to know the Bible, getting my English. So I did. That was 1999. And that year was very special to me because that was the year that really getting into the word, God challenged my priorities. That was the first time that I really getting to see my heart and where my priorities were. Interesting enough, that was the year that I got ex- formally exposed to biblical counseling through Steve Vyers. He was teaching that year. So I got one week of biblical counseling with him. Then I came back, got exposed to David Paulson, Ed Welch, got done with my bachelor's degree, two more years of college. And then I got involved in Accenture, uh, business consultant. And then all the questions came back again. Should I, am I going to trust that God is going to provide? And then it's always coming from him. Sometimes he used my workforce. Sometimes he's going to use a church. Sometimes he's going to use a brother. And that's it. So, uh, so I did. So what, what was it? What came about at the, that finally convinced you, okay, I'm going to throw myself fully into this, this ministry idea. And then where okay, did you go so from I, that? <laughs> yeah, so uh, that's an interesting question, too. Like, I graduate from, um, from my bachelor's degree. And then what's the next step? So my dad was also graduated from economics. And we used to chat a lot about how it's going to be my professional development. And, well, the next step for you is an MBA. So, so I, got, I got into Wharton a website, Harvard website. So I printed all those documents and said, well, I need to study for the GMAT. I need to study for the TOEFL. So this is going to be a two-year preparation for the MBA. At that time, MBA in business administration was, was, was really high evaluated in the market. I, I know that it still is, but not as those years. So I knew that I'm going to invest a lot of money. Uh, in a short period of time, I, I believe that we're going to have some return. But if I was... If I was uh, um, entertaining the question of pastoral ministry, well, that's it. That's the, that's the final, you know, either you go to ministry now or you get a different route and that's it. So that was a sort of a little short crisis. So, uh, and then I got, I got counseled to different guys, talked to different guys. And then I said, well, really, I don't go to ministry. It's not because I don't believe that God is calling me. 
It's I really have wrong priorities and I doubt that God is going to provide. So that was my step of faith. So, and then I talked to my boss and said, well, I'm leaving. It's it's nothing that, and then he said, well, what you going to do? And then all of a sudden during the comp in the, in the company, it spread out that I was going to become a priest. Some guys didn't understand what I was going to say. And there was a, there was a, a funny one that guy came to me and said, well, I heard that you go into a seminary or something to become a priest. I said, well, this is what I'm going to do, et cetera. That really inspired me because I, I always had a, well, I wanted to have a band. So now I'm following your example. I said, oh man, you're not understanding anything anyway. You <laughs> <laughs> just thought, throw People, everything away, follow your dreams, right? Yes, <laughs> they thought, yeah, that's what they thought, you know? Um, but it was a really, really neat time in life when I really had to get that step of faith. And then a week later or 10 days later, my dad approached me and said, well, I see what you're doing. And I was helping you to get the best, the best preparation that you could have for a business profession. So this is what we should plan then for something higher than that as far as ministry. And then we started to see different options. So I applied to master's seminary, got accepted, and I started to looking for housing in Southern California. At that time, <laughs> the exchange rate went crazy in Brazil. So everything was getting double, triple, four times even much more expensive. And I was still going. And um, at that time, then I talked to Dave Smith, Dr. Dave Smith. He was serving in Brazil. And then he said, why are you going to master's? I said, well, I'm going to master's because I want to prepare myself to be a pastor. And I want to do that with a biblical counseling mindset. I said, well, that's great. Let me challenge you to think a different way to do it. Say, well, I'm all, I'm all, I'm all here. Say, why don't you do a bachelor's degree in pastoral theology, word of life, Atibaia, Brazil, and do a master's of arts in biblical counseling in a summer program and master's? You do both at the same time. You can do the MABC because you already have a bachelor's and you're going to have a pastoral training uh, in the context of Brazil as well. That's great. Are they going to allow me to do it? I just ask them. So I asked Word of Life, and they said, that's fine. We can adapt the program for you to do both of them, and you'll be fine. So I did. I believed them. And the adaptation was really, really slow, and that was crazy. So I was working on a bachelor's degree at the same time with the credits of ABC, uh, and running um, the youth program or the college ministry in the church. And I was single at that time. So, so that's well, praise that, the Lord for that. that at least. Is, yeah, that explains a lot. <laughs> you had a lot of time, more, more time on your hands. Not, I mean, that's still yeah. a ton, a ton, a ton of work. So, so, uh, yeah, well, praise the Lord for that. So where, um, so you finished, did you finish out both of those degree programs? So this is what I did. So I spent three years like that. So in July, I went up to California for the classes at, uh, the MBBC at master's. And I was working on my bachelor's degree. Uh, those three years were the part of the program that was resident. And then on my fourth year there, uh, I was only in the internship of the church. Uh, I got done with all the credits at master's. And then Steve Weiss came down to Brazil. And he came to, uh, 
biblical counseling conference. And the guy they used to translate in those kind of situations were not, were not going to be available. And he appointed me as his substitute. So I was translating Steve Byers. And during those chats between the sessions, he talked to me about a seminary that Faith was going to start uh, to launch uh, the next year, 2007. And then he talked to me about the seminary. I was kind of a, well, what kind of seminary do you start based on a local church? So he connected me to Brent and Brent sent me the brochure. And when I looked to those, um, to the, the philosophy of the, the seminary, et cetera, said, that's exactly what I need now. It wasn't, it wasn't for the academic component, although I was really blessed by that. It was much more for the internship component and to be exposed to uh, a church where biblical counseling was in their soul. Uh, because I was starting to get not skeptical, but in my church, they didn't have a biblical counseling ministry at that time. I wasn't a past, I wasn't even ordained. So I had this conviction growing as I study in classes, reading books. But all of a sudden, this question, is this is this really uh, applicable? Is this really, is it, maybe there's something just works in the States. I don't know. Uh, but being there, and then, then I applied, long story short, I applied, went there. So I got married in June in 2007. And July of 2007, we were in Lafayette starting the MDiv program uh, with faith that we're starting the seminary, starting Vision of Hope, starting Community Center. And you know all of yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> So um, it was our extended honeymoon uh, and <laughs> <laughs> working on my MDiv. At that time, I got done with all the credits with the MEBC, but I still had a thesis to write. So I did that during the MDiv time as well. Uh, <laughs> there and, are easier uh, ways to anyway. get all these degrees, Sasha. Just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> I also want to get your wife in on this conversation. I know she's not there, but to ask her her thoughts of that extended honeymoon, because I'm not sure Lafayette, Indiana really is a hot honeymoon destination. <laughs> you know, a, a lot of people were really concerned about us because we were coming from, we were the only international students at that time, and they knew that we were going to get married and then we would go. So the church was really prepared and sensitive about our situation. And all of a sudden, the things that was a kind of a, a, a point of attention for us, it became an, an advantage because we didn't have anything to compare to. For example, we got married, then we went there. It was busy. But before that, I used to see her once a week. Now, we used to have three meals a day together. We lived in a, in a parking lot of the church. We work a lot. But at the end of the day, we were together talking about the day, you know, so it was great. <laughs> it was great. We had challenges for sure, but it was great. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Well, every, everybody does. So that's, um, but yeah, that's good. So back me up and, and tell me, how did you guys meet and how did, what did that process look like leading up to this amazing honeymoon in Lafayette, Indiana? <laughs> <laughs> so we met each other at uh, Word of Life Seminary. I was in the fourth year seminary and she went down there for the one year basic program. So in the first semester, which kind of, we were in the same campus, but we didn't connect. But then in the second semester, we start talking uh, just regularly, just like students does. And 
all of a sudden I changed my study habit habits because I used to study in my room, uh, in my dorm, um, all day long, several nights out, etc. All of a sudden I was going much more to the library. Uh, so where she was, yeah, all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, and a funny story that is that she, she used to, used to be a very close friend to a girl that married my cousin. And I didn't know that. And so my cousin's wife keep talking to her about me. You need to meet Sasha. You need to meet Sasha. But in God's providence, she forgot my name. And by God's providence, my cousin's wife told her that was in the, I was in the fifth year, not in the fourth year. So every time that those guys from the fifth year would come for a short module or something because they were not resident students anymore. She would still look into those guys and say, who is this cousin, you know? And one of those days in the library, we were chatting and then I said, well, this is my grandfather. Do you want to see a picture of my grandfather? We were talking about family. And right beside my grandfather was my cousin and her friend. And then she said, and who is this guy? I said, well, this guy is my cousin and this is his wife. She didn't say a word. Oh, but wow. she came back. She came back and called her mom and said, "This guy that I'm getting to know is actually the, you know, Marcio's cousin." And that was a funny story behind it because she was trying to connect us. Praise God, it didn't work, and then God connected us. So that's how we met, and then we started developing a good friendship, and um, we started officially dating, whatever. And then a year later. So that was in 2005. So we officially start, you know, going out together in 2006. And then we got married in 2007. And then, and then came to Lafayette, Indiana, finish out an MDiv. And after, after you completed your MDiv uh, up there at the Faith Seminary, where did you go from there? So I came back to Brazil to a church that is actually the church where my wife used to be a member. Uh, and I got to know the pastor doing the, uh, the pre-marriage counseling. And my, my leaving from the church where I used to be to faith, it wasn't um, a smooth process. It was a decision process that really challenged my convictions and what I really understood that was going to be my next step as far as training. So, uh, I knew that for some reason I didn't have an open door to come back to my church. Also talking to them, sending the reports. Well, and I understand three years passed by and they had to make some choices, make some adjustments. And then during that time, her, her pastor uh, got in contact with me several times and presenting an opportunity to come work with the college students with a, uh, um, uh, long-term view to a succession plan. So, so I said, yes, at the end of the day, after a long decision-making process to come back in 2010 to work with the college group uh, with the intention to grow my involvement in the church and to work a succession in the pastoral ministry. So, um, so that's how we came back in also getting involved with ABCB, which is the Brazilian Association of Biblical Counseling, and uh, different opportunities just to uh, grow in that area as well. Uh, so uh, that was uh, a little bit of the story then. 
Yeah, no, that's wonderful. Um, <clears throat> at some point, too, I, for, I failed to mention at the beginning, you're, you're one of the members of our board of directors and the first international member of our board of directors. Uh, when did that happen? How did that happen? Well, in 2009 and 2010, I was still an internet faith, and I saw some of the early discussions for the Biblical Counseling Coalition. And I got the chance and opportunity to witness the spirit behind the BCC. And I really enjoyed that and came back to Brazil with that mindset. In fact, after I came back to Brazil in 2010 in July, in early August of the same year, like a month later, Steve Weiss came back to Brazil for a conference with ABCB. And then we had an informal meeting with some biblical counseling leaders in Brazil to talk about what's happening in terms of biblical counseling coalition. How can we um, grow in the same direction here in Brazil? At that time, I, I didn't think that, uh, well, I know that now, but I didn't realize at that time. But looking behind now, you see that Brazil was not ready for a movement like that. Uh, because you you still you, you do have to have strong definitions or at least um, a direction of what those definitions are and understanding of what are the true questions that we're dealing to start creating an environment for a biblical counseling coalition, which I believe it's a response to a need. So we didn't have a full realization of that need at that time. So talking about the biblical counseling coalition is just what's the point of that for Brazil at that time? which I see totally different now, but anyway. So, um, so, so I, that had mindset and then I still have a connection with uh, Steve Ayers uh, because of what we do at Faith and then what we do here in Brazil, etc. And then it came an invitation to participate as a council member. And I believe that was back in 2014, maybe, um, as Biblical Counseling Coalition was starting to grow internationally which I believe it's not only a, it's a logical step. If you want to be a biblical counseling coalition, you just have to grow. You just have to see different as we see political geographical divisions. You just see anyway. So, um, so I said yes and start participating in 2014. And then in 2016, uh, BCC hosted this global summit. And I was invited to do a, a, a part on that in the panel, talk a little bit of what's happening in Brazil. And right after the Global Summit, we have a small meeting, which was a very, very edifying, significant meeting when we talk about different opportunities in biblical counseling throughout the world. Uh, a couple of weeks later came the invitation to participate in the Board of Directors. And I also see as well as a step to create a, um, a mindset to grow internationally. So that's how it came, the invitation, and a little bit about the story of my personal involvement in the Biblical Counseling Coalition. Yeah, well, thank you for, for filling that in. I came in just after that global summit and after, and you were already on the board of directors, so I've had the pleasure of getting to know you over the, over the years. Um, I could keep asking you questions all day long, but we, I don't want our audience to revolt and turn off their, their <laughs> podcast or anything. Not that they would, cause it's a fascinating story, but they've got time limits. Um, so tell me what, what is, what's something that is the hard, a hard thing for you in counseling? Maybe, um, I don't want to say the hardest, but something that you find challenging about biblical counseling. Mm -hmm. 
Well, every every time that I think about that question or face a challenge in biblical counseling, it's always connected to a personal thing that God is dealing in my heart. It's inseparable. I mean, we minister a message that transforms us. So there are challenges in ministry. There are harder things in ministry than others. But honestly, if we are um, walking with God and being humble before Him, all those challenges, just they're just challenges. They're just different settings when we're going to see God's grace acting in God's people. So um, I think the, uh, the hardest challenge for me is just it, it's connected to the challenges on my personal walk with God. So I see those past years, for example, I think I went to a period of dryness, spiritually dryness. And, oh, man, that, that everything becomes so heavy, you know. Uh, and then you get involved in people's problems, get into the mode of just stop it, you know, just stop it, <laughs> stop doing this, you know. Uh, and then you said, that's wrong. That's my heart attitude. So, um, so I see those uh, as those difficult challenges. And by God's grace, we have an answer for that. You know, the same grace that we ministry comes to us. And, and then I see a ministry productivity connected to personal holiness and um, in, in a very clear way. So, yeah, no, that's a good, a good reminder that for us, um, one, when we're going through challenges, we still need to remember to be gracious and patient <laughs> with others. I mean, I was just actually just studying and writing about the comparison between the earthly priests in Hebrews 4 and 5 to Jesus, our great high priest. And it talks about like the high priests are supposed, because they have compassion, because they know the experience of suffering and weakness, they should have compassion for those. Uh, but of course, obviously our sacrifice uh, or the, the sacrifice of theirs is not equivalent to that of Christ. Anyway, it's a side note, but, um, but also that, yeah, we're still, we are going to mess up and it's not ultimately about us. It's about Christ and, and pointing people to him. So thanks for that. What, what, um, what do you love about biblical counseling and what really keeps you going? Uh, it's so connected to the heart of the gospel. I mean, when I told you the story behind when I, uh, first heard um, David Paulus and Ed Welch articulating biblical counseling and how practical it is. I said, that's it. You know, Sunday school lessons work, you know, uh, biblical teaching work. What we, what we learn is actually practical and change lives. Uh, so that's what keeps me going. It's just the power of the word of God that when we ministry faithfully, it's God speaking. It is God speaking. So um, I like, um, I think it was Kevin DeYoung, one of those uh, sessions, I think T4G, told that uh, sometimes when he preaches, and I think it believes, it, it also applies to counseling, is that it's something that you have a straw with a small paper, wet paper, and then <laughs> and you keep going yeah, with a ball, concrete yeah. wall. And then you have a concrete wall. That's what it is. Sometimes that's the feeling that I'm, I'm ministering God's word in a, in a private way, in a personal way. And then on the other side, there's a concrete wall. And see how God's grace destroy those concrete walls of sin, of blindness, and brings lives. Those are the things that gets us going. I mean, he doesn't need to show us all the time, but just believing that and knowing that God works through that keeps us going. 
Yeah, absolutely. If there's one um, one lesson, maybe takeaway or something you've learned along the way through biblical counseling, you'd like to, obviously you could teach whole semesters of classes, uh, but just some, some takeaway for our audience from some that's meaningful to you. Maybe it's something unique to you that are not unique to you, but that you think is really important to share. What do you, what would that be? Yeah. Biblical counsel is the ministry of the word. I know it sounds cliche. I know it sounds, uh, but when we, we take it to heart and understand the deep implications of when I'm counseling, I'm not only solving problems. People are not problems to solve. There are souls to love. And some of those problems are going to last for a long time, but they're still going to grow and, they are, and we're still doing our job. So it's a totally different system of values, of evaluation that fascinates me and keeps us going to faithfully ministry God's word. The ministry of the word. When we see a biblical theology of the word of God, a biblical theology of the image of God, uh, pointing to Christ and then Christ forming in us. And that's a product of the word of God ministering today. Just really excites me uh, just to see that. And, um, and that's when I, when I see people like questioning biblical counseling, it's just like, man, how can you question that? I mean, you can question the way to do it, convictions. How can we uh, polish our statements? All that is part of growing in ministry. But questioning the heart of the minister of the word is something that I just, man. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I understand. <laughs> Working in, in trauma, you know, trauma is a big popular topic right now and PTSD mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And I did my dissertation in that area and I studied the top, you know, top treatment programs that are out there mm-hmm. that, that they recommend. And it's like, man, they don't hold a candle to God's word. And so I don't. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Uh, so I'm all, all all in, all for God's word and his spirit working through us to transform people's lives. That's great. Well, Sasha, thanks so much for being with us. Oh, but yeah, well, before you go, we have a two-minute favorite segment um, where I ask you your favorite stuff for two minutes. You sound sound like something you're up for? Sure, let's go ahead. If right. I don't have any favor, I just try to make up on it. <laughs> And I'm sure we did this with you before, but I always think it's fun to, to, to do it again anyway and to see if anything's changed. So here we go. Oh, I believe that lots of things are going to change. <laughs> All right, here we go. What is your favorite food? Oh, I like pizza. I like just one, right? Okay. Uh, favorite color? Gray. Favorite sport? Basketball. Favorite sports team? Oh, that's gonna be this gonna be fun. I mean, I told basketball, right? Where <laughs> controversial as well. Wherever LeBron is, all right. <laughs> right. Uh, favorite gift you've ever received? Um. Well, without being, uh, I don't. You know, I don't sometimes just common things, but I really enjoyed the idea of uh, receiving my wife as a gift. Mm. Something that really God is uh, teaching me today. Just. What a wonderful gift. So yeah. that's it. Favorite gift you've ever given? Um, I don't know, man. I, I, um, I need to think about those. All right. I don't know. Favorite. Uh, you have one? Go ahead. Go ahead. Favorite, nope. favorite book of the Bible? If 
Ephesians. I really like Ephesians. Favorite book outside of scripture? Ah, Trusting God by Jerry Bridges. <laughs> mm, favorite candy? Um, M&M's. I will, sneakers. Sneakers. I've changed mine now. Uh, favorite Bible verse? Philippians 1.6. Favorite uh, ice cream flavor? Okay. Chocolate chip and cookie dough. And we don't have those in Brazil. So if you are in the States and hearing me, just get a couple of those and praise God that where you are, you still can find those. All right? That's it. That's my word of wisdom for today. All right. Uh, favorite word? Favorite word? Mm-hmm. I mean, just any word? Any word. I like the word taking for granted. We don't have that concept in Brazil. So to translate that is really hard. Hmm. And I, I think it's just an awesome concept that communicates so many things. You take it that for granted. Wow, man, we don't have that in Portuguese. And I just think it's so awesome. There you go. It's, and so, and it summarized things. So. It, it does. Yep. Well, Sasha, that wraps up our two-minute favorites as well as our time together. Thanks so much for being with us on 1514 today. Thanks, Curtis. See you. Bye-bye, folks. Thank you for listening to today's episode of 1514. If you'd like to find out more about the Biblical Counseling Coalition, you can visit our website at biblicalcc.org. Special thanks to our podcast engineer, James Wills, who does all the post-production editing to make this podcast sound so wonderful. Also want to thank my assistant, Carrie Felton, for helping to arrange these interviews. And a special thanks to Andrew Riddell, who composed and recorded the music we use on 1514. I hope you have a wonderful day.